podcast this week. This could be a mistake. Singing with a cold. Come with me and you'll be in a world of your imagination. As we talk to Timmy Two Meats. Yes, he's back. Timothy Chalamet, star of Wonka. And he's brought the brilliant Keegan-Michael Key with him as well. Ooh. Bonanza. And Cowabunga. It's Jeff Rowe, director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, which is now out on the shiny discs and whatnot. Ooh. All that and more on the movie podcast that is currently engorged on Tom Cruise cake. If you think that's tasty, wait until you try Arnold Schwarzenegger's sausage. Oh, boy. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, welcome to the Emperor Podcast, and yes, it's true, we have just had a slice, well say we, because Helen O'Hara, our geek queen, did not have a slice of this Tom Cruise cake, which he sent to us, and indeed many other outlets, just to be fair, because that's how Tom rocks and rolls, and this is a cake, James Dyer, a great big fucking nerve, that presumably Tom Cruise made with his own hands, whilst jumping off a cliff on a motorbike. I'm reasonably certain he bakes the corpses of his enemies into the cake. I don't think he does. I think he does. I don't think he does. As your lawyer, I'm pretty sure he doesn't. And we should also be clear, when we say Tom Cruise cake, this is not a cake made of bits of Tom Cruise. That we know of. That we know of. If it it is, he tastes surprisingly coconutty. There is an article about this on the interwebs, uh, the history of the famous Tom Cruise Mm -hmm. coconut cake, uh, if you choose to look it up. And who was it who introduced him to... So it's a very specific bakery, isn't it, in LA that it comes from? A cake shop. It was, yes. And it was... There was a a discussion between himself and two co-stars in one of his films about who knew the best cake. And both co-stars brought in a cake and this was the winner. But I can't remember the names of who it was. So that's it's someone anecdote. quite famous. This is a great anecdote. It was, yeah. two, it was two famous people. It yeah. was it was the equivalent of like Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz. Right, it, but it yeah. wasn't. It those, wasn't them. But, but it was but someone, it was like, someone that. like that. So yeah. someone, Julia Roberts, Diane Keaton, someone recommended to him this wonderful coconut. So bear in mind, coconut cake. Coconut is a very controversial choice. Like no fucker eats the bounty. That is a long running uh, joke. That's, that's not true. Hey, I like a bounty. That's absolutely true. I like true. a bounty. Don't, there's no need to have you know bounty hunters. We don't need their scum. Mutiny over bounty. Yeah, it uh, is the last one eaten in my it is family. Absolutely not. Chocolate. Uh, but, but tin of celebrations or tub of celebrations. Yeah. Uh, Snickers can fuck off. No, well, Snickers can also fuck off, but bounty does get left behind in my family boxes. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, you can should invite me over on Boxing Day, Helen, and I'll hoover up all the bounties for you. Yeah. No, probably not though. <laughs> Come on, anyway. you can hoover up the bounty wrappers because I eat those mothers. Fair enough. So, so it's an unusual, it's a controversial it is, cake in many ways. But he sends them out every year to the people he loves. Uh, to the people he loves. There's, <laughs> there's, there's good grammar there somewhere. He, he did say that on the, on the card. You, you're people <laughs> you are people I love. You are the people that I love. But to be fair, he loves us the most. You know why? Because we didn't get one cake, Chris. We got two motherfucking Tom Cruise cakes. Two! Well, two! When you, when you say we, Nick got one and then the whole team got one. It's, it's socialism, Helen. What's Nick's? hours. So Nick got a personal cake and we as Team Empire got our own office cake. Well, I, I'm just, I can't wait to try it. <laughs> well, Helen, if I get a cake, as I did last year. You did bring me some, thank you. Yes, you may get a cake sent to your house. Because delivered by Tom personally. Delivered by Tom yeah, Cruise, yeah. He, he dangled from beneath the ceiling. I have quite low ceilings in my, yeah. in my flat, so I was really taken by surprise. Uh, but yes, Emmanuel Bayar sat next to me and, uh, and put uh, laxatives in my coffee. And I was on the toilet for some considerable time. Then it got sent to Alaska afterwards. Really, really bum deal. But uh, but hey, I hope William Donlow gets a cake. <laughs> Do you think Ethan Hunt sends cakes out? You know, if you, if you if he has somehow besmirched your reputation, like that poor William Donlow, Rolf mm. Saxon, the original Mission Impossible, banished to Alaska yeah. through no fault of his own. Some fault of his own. What fault of his own? 
Well, he should have maybe realised that, hey, if he's having to suddenly rush to the toilet, they should get someone to cover his post. We mean cover his post? He's it's a very specialised detail that he's on. If he doesn't crunch those numbers, it, it won't, won't make, make much, much of a, a difference. difference. Is this what happened to Dr. Fleischman in Northern Exposure? Is that how he got to Alaska? Uh, I don't know. I'll ask yes. him. Oh, boy. It's <laughs> a good joke. See, I'm infused with the power of cruise. Yes. I see, I see. Yes, okay. you are. going to break out a... Uh, Les Grossman in a second. I was going to say Len Grossman, but that's a completely hey, different character. Hey. Uh, but I, that's the thing. So Ethan Hunt has wronged many, many people, sometimes by shooting them in the face. Do their relatives, you know, does, for example, the widow or widower, mm-hmm. right? Or of, um, oh, I don't know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's baddie yeah. from Mission Impossible 3. Whose name I think we all remember, but there's no need to Owen say it right now. Davian. Very good. That is good. That's, That's right. what you know. What that is actually, and this is this. You only find this out if you get the the 4K Blu-ray release. But the rabbit's fur is actually what they call the cake. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's what it is. It is a Tom Cruise. Which is why Cruise they never show it you in the film. Yeah, I'm just saying it would be nice. It would be a nice thing. It would be. It would, you would have closure, really tasty closure. So I hope that he does that in the movies as well, or just any movie, any Tom Cruise movie. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. W- would this only apply to Ethan Hunt or? Are all of our action heroes sending cakes to their wronged enemies? I think over you should. Festive period, you know, with a little car saying, "Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, I I ran over your your husband, or sorry, I dropped a crane on him." That sort of thing. Yeah, that sort of thing. Like Bond should do that. Like Alec Trevelyan's uh, partner, right? right? Sorry, I dropped a crane on your on your on the <laughs> face of. <laughs> Of your husband. Austin Buy Powers. me a cake. Austin Powers sending one to the Smitty family. You know. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be lovely. That'd be lovely. Anyway, thanks, Tom, if you're listening. And I know you are. Uh, it tastes absolutely delicious. Thank you so much indeed. Can we uh, stop talking about cake? It's very upsetting. Let's stop talking about cake. And um, and just, just, to, just to say as well that our integrity remains undimmed and undiminished by this, by this lovely benevolent gesture from Tom Cruise, who, that's just, remind us all, is the greatest of all of us. Uh, and uh, I believe work starts again soon on the five-star film that is Mission Impossible, Dead yeah. Reckoning Part 2. Five cake rating. And I, for one, cannot wait to... To just watch every single second of it. You're an absolute disgrace. Can I just say, I, I got, um, so I'm a member of the London Film Critics Circle. What? As am and, I. Yes. What? Are you, Chris? No, because I don't review films. Okay. <laughs> That's true. So, so as a member of the London Film Critics Circle, I got sent a sort of for your consideration thing this week, right? I got an envelope, which come all the way from the US, from a major film mm. studio. Okay. And in that envelope... There was a thick piece of folded over cardboard of the sort that you might deliver a DVD or Blu-ray disc in, you know, to protect it from the elements. Yeah. But in the this elephants. case, yeah. But in this case, it was just a folded over piece of cardboard containing yeah. nothing. And then there was a a code to watch this film digitally online, which they had already emailed to us um a, a couple of weeks ago. And this cost $18.90. How do you know that? Because it was on the front of the envelope. It was. To post from the US. Right. This could have been a Raven mail. This could have, this is the absolute classic, you know, meeting that could have been an email. This is the piece of cardboard that literally already was an email. <laughs> yeah. And for some reason, I now have to recycle. What was it, Phil? I wasn't going to say. Okay. Look, Chris, there is no way on earth either one of us are going to tell you that it's Barbie. That's just not going to happen. So just move on. The five-star masterpiece, it is Barbie. It That's is right. a five-star masterpiece. I am considering it. That's not the point. The point is, this is not an efficient use of his resources. Do you know, the only way for me that Barbie could be improved is if Tom Cruise were in it. 
He would make an excellent Ken. Which I Ken think he'd would he make be? a great Barbie. There's nothing beyond Tom Cruise and every slice of his cake <laughs> just convinces me of that even more. Well, I say give him the Oscar. You're just the integrity. All the Oscars. Here, the integrity is just off the charts. Absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, shall we? Um, should we take a listener question? Let's. All right. This one comes from Thomas Cruz Maypole the Fourth, <laughs> <laughs> and it's how do you like my cake? I like it a lot, Tom. I like it a lot, but not nearly as much as I like the five star masterpiece it is, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part Two. Oh boy. Uh, we got a lot of questions. Uh, a lot of them are pertaining, indeed, to the cake. I guess. Oh, are they? Did we tweet about this? I, I mean, it's I did. Been, yeah, it's been it's been on Instagram, which is how I knew you had it and asked you to bring me some and you failed. So we did. now I have to physically We were already en route. We yeah. were already en route. I mean, route. yes, having like, failed to think of it. I can run across the rooftops of London buildings. Can you? Smash my ankle. Oh, well, I believe that bit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just climb, <laughs> huffing and puffing. Uh, if I fell to my death, you could eat me. I hereby give you permission I, I to eat me. I don't think you were delicious and coconutty, if I'm honest. I am coconutty. Tom Cruise's coconut resides in me right now. We reviewed Candy Cane Lane last week. Didn't we did, James, week? yes. You were uh, there is a jumper. whole plot thread in that film about Tom Cruise. Is there? Yeah, there really is, where the genie is obsessed with Tom Cruise. Uh, and in fact, we see his, his the running genie along the rooftop. In Candy Cane Lane? Uh, or do you mean the genie? Oh, genie. Genie, genie and genie. genie. Yes, that's right. Interchangeable yes. Christmas movies. I'm so sorry. There is no genie in Candy Cane Lane. There's an evil elf. And the evil elf may or may not like Tom Cruise. But the genie in genie... I mean, the clue was very much there in the I name. see what you're saying. Uh, yes, it was in fact genie. In genie, the genie is obsessed with Tom Cruise. I dream of genie. Right. Yeah, and she dreams of Tom Cruise. Yeah. I dream of Tom Cruise and his incredible cake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, we've got lots of questions. Lots of people going, is that cake as nice as it looks? No. It's nicer. Uh, let me see. Which Tom Cruise cake has been the best? I'd say Cake Tail was well, very nice. Do you know what? Do you know what? It's interesting because this year's cake is an evolution. Not even a murmur. It is an evolution. So normally it's kind of like a round, smaller, much smaller round cake with like coconutty icing on it. This time it's a kind of bunt shape with a hole in the middle and it's covered in coconut. So it has, it's stepped up its game. And this year's That's cake. the same as last year, isn't it? Year. Uh, maybe that was last year, but in previous years. Yeah, there was a layer cake been, element. It was a layer a cake. Layer a cake. coconut layer cake. Not Matthew Vaughn's layer cake. Yeah, oh, okay. exactly. There was no Daniel Craig in the middle of it. But uh, but this this new bunt in, in incarnation, I'm very much in favour of. We had a, a discussion about bunts last year, you see. That's how I remember. Ah, oh, mm. I see. Anyway, either way, it's, it's been a delicious cake when I have had the opportunity to, <laughs> to, to sample it. All right. Okay. Enough banging on about the, the cake. Otherwise, people yes, will really will assume we've been compromised. Yeah. It'll go um, berserk on the Have we been right compromised? Now. We may have been compromised. <gasps> oh, no. What if Initiate it wasn't... Initiate the ghost protocol. <laughs> what if it wasn't Tom Cruise who sent us a cake? What if it was... Dun, 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 the entity. No! No! Gregor Hector asks, which dead actors do you want to read you a bedtime story? Oh, That's just creepy. This is in reaction to the story this week that James Stewart's voice oh, has been James recreated Stewart. by AI. Oh, with, by with about that level of accuracy by all accounts. <laughs> um, and is being used to sort of do one of those, you know, cam meditative app bedtime Make story things. And, and apparently the estate signed off on it, which, you know, is is a is a bare minimum, I suppose. Were they sent a cake? Maybe they were, and it Maybe just compromised them. Um, <laughs> compromised them. But I, I do feel like the um, a knock list. <laughs> this is getting very confusing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't feel like it's a super great idea. It's a shitty idea for. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, it's what it is. You say potato, I say potato. <laughs> you know, um, I I don't love it as a concept, and I think we should let the dead lie. Have we not seen enough zombie movies? To know that bringing dead people back to life oh, doesn't I want generally to eat your brains, well. Clarence. If, oh! If you're going to bring dead people to life, you ask them five questions and five questions only, and then you put them back <laughs> yeah. to rest. But do ask them the full five. Don't oh, just sure. leave them sitting there through the credits. Yeah. Right, Don't leave what, them hanging. What five questions would you ask Jimmy Stewart? I'd ask about working with the rabbit on Harvey. Right. Okay. Oh, that's one question. Oh, I've got four more. <laughs> Oh, God. I've never tried a Jimmy Stewart impression. I'm quite liking it. Please stop. I'm, I'm leaning into it. If anything, it's getting better. Is it? Oh, you've got four more questions, young lady. I don't know who he is now. Anyway, uh, go on, four more. Four more. Between the two of you, surely you can come up I with... I have no questions. Four, oh, like, James would be, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> what have I seen you in before? I, I, yeah, I, no, I, I don't think I have any... I don't feel that he has a particular a particular angle on something that I need, apart from possibly his take on your Jimmy Stewart impression, I, uh, <laughs> which I don't feel he'd be in favour of I at think all. he's nailed me. I don't think he talked much about his World War II service. I'd be interested in knowing more about that. Do you know what? what? If I could resurrect anyone to read me a bedtime story, it could only be Sir Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Read me Charlemagne. Oh, <laughs> that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? It would be glorious. He could read you the uh, the novelization of Indiana Jones and Alaska Crusade. <laughs> in the original, that. in the original ancient Greek, <laughs> yes, <generally>. in Greek, <laughs> and the chair. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, so, Hell Spells, you haven't answered the question. I, you, I did. I said no to. No, it. you can't. You can't answer the question. Dead person. You have rudely awakened them. You have interrupted their ancient slumber. Like Mumra, the ever-living. Like yes. Mumra, the ever-living. Who would it be? Again, you love your old-timey black and white dead people. I do, you do. I do, I do. I mean, you, I'm, I'm looking, if it's, if it's going to be like reading me a story, it's got to be someone with a great voice. I'm thinking, oh, like Jimmy Storms. I mean, he has a great voice. You're doing it badly, but he does have a great voice. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking Richard Burton, maybe. Well, Richard Burton. Fantastic voice. I don't know. I'm not really an Olivier fan girl. Oh, Olivier. Have <laughs> you tried acting to your boy? What? I'm not sure that's quite uh, him, it's, if I'm honest. It's in the ballpark. It's, it's, it's a, in the ballpark. Wow, I'm not sure about the size. That's a regulation yeah, it's ballpark. A big park. It's not so much Gil Good, more like Gil Bad, but it's hey. it's 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 in there. It's in there. I mean, Gil Good also not a bad shout. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm basically saying is, but I'm going for it. I'm going to. I'm, I'm saying you're going, you're going for Burton. I'm going for Burton. You're going for Burton. All right. What I'm basically saying is, why resurrect a dead star to do this when I am available? Yeah. I'm a lot cheaper. <laughs> a lot cheaper. A lot cheaper, and crucially. A lot shitter, but... <laughs> oh, go to sleep now, little well, Timmy. <laughs> in fairness, I don't think you are shitter than an AI version of these it's things. True. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that much credit. Oh, you can feel it. Oh, sleep taking you like a pillow over the face. Oh. What? No. Sleep now. Stop it. Everlasting sleep. Stop oh, it. Forever sleep taking you to the dark horizons. I don't like you. Anyway, that was a good question. Well done, everybody. Okay. <laughs> that was good. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. A right. dead. Okay, I haven't answered it. I haven't answered okay. it. Okay, a dead person with a good voice. Yes, a dead person with a good voice. Oh. Marilyn Monroe's feeling. Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert. Oh God. <laughs> Every night, the aristocrats—a different version. Wait, did I just say Sophia Loren, who's not dead? Uh, I don't think he did. But if you did, then let's just we, make sure that you know she wasn't. She's still very much alive. Very much alive. 
Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> The best part of this whole question <laughs> is that Boyd Hilton legitimately listens to this podcast as he's going to sleep. Really? Yeah, yeah. So you can ASMR the shit out of him. Boyd Hilton! <laughs> Boyd Hilton! This is Gilbert Gottfried! Gilbert Gottfried on the Empire Podcast! You can't go to sleep right now because the mother is sucking the father. The father is climbing oh, up a no. ladder and jumping off the ladder and there's animals. <laughs> animals... Boyd Hilton, this is all your fault. I'll do. Oh, God. I always, always cut Gilbert Gottfried out every time he appears in the podcast. I, as you started doing it, I was like, this is really funny and no one will ever get to hear it. <laughs> I might leave that one in. I might leave, just for, just for Boyd. Yeah. Just for Boyd. Anyway, anyway. Shall we move on? Gilbert Gottfried, there's mine. What an amazing suggestion. Thanks, yeah. Jimbo. Uh, all right. If you want to have your question read on the Emperor podcast, you can either send us cake uh, in the form, well, not oh, in the yes. shape of Tom Cruise. Ice it. Ice your question onto a cake. Ice your question onto, the, onto a cake. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that will work. I'm, I, but don't lace it with drugs. Mm. And also, if you're going to do it, do it on a downslope because some motherfuckers are always trying to ice cakes up. <laughs> oh, boy. Very good. Very, very good indeed. You can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs. You can reply to a panel shout out every now and again. Or you can reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. All right, shall we have a guest? Who should we have? Yes, let's start with Timmy. Timmy Two Meets? Timmy Two Meets. Timmy Two Meets. Wow, that's amazing. It's been a few years now since Timothy Chalamet, for It Is He, appeared on the Empire Podcast with Army Hammer. And... um, and what? what? <laughs> anyway, that was for Call Me By Your Name. And that is where we kind of coined the nickname Timmy Two Meets. Yes. Although apparently that we didn't actually coin it in that interview. It kind of, it's grown since. Its legend has only grown, Helen. Sure. Uh, anyway, another thing that's only grown since then is Timothy Chalamet's career. Thank God I finished that Thank sentence, God right? Thank God you finished that sentence. Uh, so he has gone from strength to strength, from Call Me By Your Name to June. June! Oh, no. Oh, no. I walked into that one. Uh, and other films that he's been in over the last couple of years as well. And now he stars as the title character in Paul King's wonderful Wonka, which tells the story of a young Willy Wonka and how he comes to be one of the best chocolatiers, but not, crucially, a coconut caker maker. That we know of. That we know of. This might have been his. Uh, anyway, Timothy Chalamet is in Wonka. He is excellent, as is Keegan-Michael Key, who, of course, is one half of Key and Peele, one of the best sketch duos of all time, of all time. I wonder what ever became of Peele. Anyway, Key's doing pretty <laughs> well for himself, and he's very, very funny in this movie as the chief of police. And the two of them were paired together. That's so why I went along to speak to them uh, last week, I'm losing my voice rapidly, but hopefully I'll get to the end of this. Uh, and I had a good old natter with him about a great many things. And no, I didn't tell Timothy Chalamet about the Timmy Two Meets nickname because he'd quite clearly forgotten it. Had no idea who I was, <laughs> and uh, had security escort me from the building at his earliest convenience. It's only fair and only right. Relatable. Relatable. Oh, here they are now, Timothy Chalamet and wow. Tegan Michael Key. Enjoy, you mothers. Timothy Chalamet, Keegan Michael Key, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you both? We're doing well. Doing great. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, I have to ask. Obviously, sometimes when you, you talk to pairings on junkets, there's a an obvious reason why you're paired. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you might be friends, you might be brothers in the movie, but you two guys, Willy Wonka and the chief of police in this movie, are adversarial. So That's true. why have they put you together? Oh, why have they put us why together? Why have they put you together? I don't know. I was, I was mulling this over in the I, way. That's in. a really good question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm s- stoked to be paired with Keegan because uh, I'm stoked. we had a great time on set. But Keegan probably makes me laugh harder than anyone I've met besides Codes. Codes, Codes makes you laugh. Codes makes me laugh. Right? Me laugh. Yeah. But uh, uh, I mean, Keegan's just uh, if you grew up on Key and Peele, like I grew yeah. up on Key and Peele. Yeah. It's just. Uh, this he's. I mean, I'm very grateful to do this for you. So I, oh, might be I, I, for him. No, it's not a pain in the ass for me <laughs> at all. I really, I appreciate. I appreciate Timmy's. Um, I mean, I don't know why they paired us together, but I, uh-huh. that, I think they see, they see what's that. And you appreciate my fandom. <laughs> <laughs> I pre, uh, no, I appreciate. What I really appreciate is your intelligence. I do. Thank I you. really appreciate your intelligence, and I and I love spending time with you. We are friends. We are okay. friends, which is you know. I don't know, but, but I don't know that people outside of there, outside of you know here know that about us this that little bubble in this room sta- yeah because yeah. when we started when we started shooting the, the movie we we lived about five minutes away from yep, each other in camden and, and camden town and spent a lot of time in camden, oh! camden. okay yeah. and spent a, spent a lot of time <laughs> with each other and um and talk about cinema and talk about art and talk about life and he's just he's just a, a well you're you're a very considered person i think i thank you my mom's gonna love that is she, she gonna like my that gonna is your mom gonna like that, that? My mom's gonna love that. <laughs> this will be the one i send to my mom i like i i just I, I i like that i like the way you think and i like the way that you put ideas together and, thank you and the way that you pick your work and i just and and i enjoy your spirit I, I really feel like your spirit. leave at this point. This is like yeah. a lovely yeah, mutual appreciation society. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> now do me, do me, do me. <laughs> uh, so, so Timothy, obviously you're a big fan of Keegan's work. So did you ever, I mean, have you ever, would you ever like, you know, go and give us a bit of a substitute teacher now and again, or would you, would, and how do you react if people ask you to do that? Um, you know, I don't know if Tim's ever asked me that, but, uh, but substitute teacher is amazing. I don't know if you've ever it's asked one of the greatest that. sketches of all yeah, time. Yeah, I agree. Of all time. I agree. But, um, you yeah. know, yeah. Ah, shit. I would, I would do, <laughs> I would do Keegan's characters to his face all day. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, that's a really fine line. You know, somebody was saying that to me recently, uh, like when you're around tremendously talented and funny people, all you really want to do is make them laugh. It's like yeah. it gives you it's the inc- biggest seal of honor. And uh, I think I make Keegan cry more than. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he, de- he definitely made me laugh. He definitely yeah. makes me laugh. With, uh, he definitely makes <laughs> me laugh. So when did you first meet? Was it on on the film? Uh, we, no, we met before that. Okay. We met. We met on. Didn't we meet? Did we meet on a carpet? Or yeah. something. Yeah. It was before SNL. Yeah. It was before your first oh, SNL because remember, yes. but we did do that. We had, we, yes. there, uh, I was, I was going to be guest starring in a sketch on SNL okay. for the, when the, when he hosted the first time. It was yeah, a yeah. very good sketch with Cecily Tyson. With Cecily, right? with Cecily uh, Strong. With Cecily Strong. Yeah. Cecily Tyson. <laughs> Cecily, Cecily oh, Tyson, man. <laughs> All 93 years of age. No, oh, <laughs> Cecily, <laughs> Cecily Strong. Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. That would be a crazy sketch. That would be a crazy sketch. <laughs> oh my god! But we um, we had uh, we had a really good time. But we had met before that. We had met before that. I'm trying to remember where it was, and I just thought I thought to myself, this kid, because I'm a fan of his. Yeah, my, yeah. The thing is, I mean, we're talking, and I'm I'm just gonna say it, Tim. We're gonna we're talking about our generation's James Dean. He is our generation's James Dean. And I know, I know, it's a lot to put on you, but you are. And um, 
and I, I his talent knows no bounds. Yeah, I'm just going to keep this a, a mutual admiration society thing going no, absolutely. for a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But um, and that's why I was so excited to make this movie with him because it's so it's such a departure from anything else he's done. I know that he's done a couple. I know that you've done now you've done two big commercial movies, mm-hmm. but Dune certainly falls under the category of the other work that you've done, mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. does not. And you mm-hmm. do this with such a plum. It's so wonderful. It's this really, has been really wonderful. the best interview we've done all day. <laughs> it's really because it's once we get into a podcast, once you get into a yeah, podcast, podcast and you form. can really just start talking yeah. any way you want. Having the voice a little bit lower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that comparison. It's, it's interesting. I don't want to, you know, harp on it too much because it, it clearly makes you, I don't know. But James Dean obviously made only three films. Mm. But there's something about James Dean. I don't know that he could have played Willy Wonka. I no, genuinely don't, I don't know. I, I agree, Chris. He, I yeah. don't think he could have played Willy Wonka. The, 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 but the comparison that's interesting enough for me is that he's so different in the three films that he made. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what you do is you, you play. Put Giant. Yeah. Did yeah. you watch? Did you watch yeah. Giant? Yeah. You finally did yeah. watch Giant. Extraordinary. Is it, yeah. it's not sh- all in one sitting. But no, no, it's, it's a long. It's, it's a long movie. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. It's not a, a whole one sitting movie. Yeah. But. The work he does in that, as compared to the work he does in Rebel and mm-hmm. East of Eden, I'm getting chills thinking about it. I'm literally getting chills on the back of my bald mm-hmm. pate thinking about <laughs> it. And um, but I, I I see that the, the the tone of this movie, you're so successful in it. It, it. It's so you really dropped into this tone, and you really dropped into the world mm-hmm. in a way that's so different than anything else you've done. And I'm just really looking forward to people seeing him. Absolutely, dancing, yeah. singing, yeah, and um, and right from the off as well. I mean, the whole kit and caboodle. It's a musical. It says from the off, this is a musical. Yes, but we're not going to apologize for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, the opening number. Yeah, opening shot. Opening number. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And how did you dial into that? I mean, how did you dial into Willy Wonka? Yeah, I mean, it, it was different. It was much as as Keegan just said. Uh, even Dune, which was this uh, a film of the same scale that it worked on, but the tone was was quite serious. I think that's one of the great appeals of that movie is that it's sci-fi, but that the human interaction in it feels quite grounded. So this was almost like uh, something I feel like I prided myself on in my early work as an actor was to not feel the thrill of being in a movie that uh, I felt early on was crucial to performances feeling real because when you're in real life, you're not thrilled to be in a movie. I hope I don't sound like an idiot saying that. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, um, so this was really about learning to let go and just be joyful within it because this character is and uh to not be suspicious of that and really working with keegan and with olivia coleman on those two days that really opened me up and uh, because uh i respect both their work tremendously and i just saw they were very much within a tone it was very refreshing it felt like i was doing stage work again or in, in high school because you're very much within a story yeah uh, i don't know how to put it the thing i did right before bones and all you know yeah. film we were in you know uh, really remote locations in nebraska or Ohio, or the set takes care of 80% of the, not the set, I don't want to sound cynical, but the location yeah. and the realism of it takes care of so much of the storytelling and informs so much of the tone. This is a, this was like, we are telling a story. Yeah. So it's great to see Olivia and Keegan open up to that tone, being with Rowan Atkinson. And, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, it felt like a traditional in the best way, you know? Um, it's like a live-action cartoon, this movie. It's like a live-action yeah. cartoon. That's yeah. a really good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. It does. It has this uh, heightened feel about it, but um, the, it's heightened. Yet there's this cleverness that so much of it's practical. You know, for people, I'm trying not to ruin it, but I mean, like this podcast, people will see when they will hear whenever they hear. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the Hubbard chalks, mm-hmm. I think the Hubbard chalks are really fantastic because they're. It, it's not magic. 
that's making people fly. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the fly inside the chocolate that's right. making people mm -hmm. fly. Mm -hmm. And um, as opposed to someone like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like Augustus Gloop, who gets enormous. Mm -hmm. right, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He gets enormous from well, that. No, no, no. no. no, no. Uh, Violet Beauregard. Violet Beauregard. Yeah, Violet, yeah, yeah. Violet, Violet Beauregard gets, gets enormous through the magic of the chocolate. That's right. Whereas yeah. my character gets enormous practically. Does that make sense? You know I mean? yeah. there's, there's this yeah. wonderful practical sense about how the ma how the magic works. It's very Asgardian in a way. Where we say Asgardian, <laughs> Asgard is not magic; it's science. Mm -hmm. It's just beyond our science. And Willie's science is beyond is beyond um, his imaginings are beyond the imaginings of the people that he's spending time with. Yeah. He up he uplifts he uplifts everybody at Scrubbit and Bleachers. Yeah, and it's really it's really great. It's it's interesting. I've I've um, been following Paul's career for a while now. I'm you know a big fan of the two Paddington movies as well, and I'm guessing that Paddington Two in particular broke you down as human beings uh, oh, on a cellular level as it did yeah. me as well. Yeah. Uh, big big reason I'm guessing why you signed on and wanted to work with him. Yeah, yeah. But that, I just watched that again recently. It's uh, when Aunt, Aunt Aunt Lucy shows up at the end. Oh it's Jesus! Just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's... and um, I don't know. It's like that movie's just uh, extraordinary. Yeah. Just yeah, he just puts the it's it's how he puts the heart into the films. I mean, people talk about heartwarming films or heart wrenching films, and and it's uh, Paul's he he has this way of being simultaneously serious and dramatic and comedic all at the same time. I don't I don't not quite sure how he does it. You come all the way from the Mighty Boosh. You think about the stuff yeah. that he did in the Mighty Boosh, and yeah. that that lends itself to the fantastical. But it's it's how he makes the heartbeats. He makes the 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 heartbeats of the story work. And and the Paddington movies was a hundred percent. I was just like Paul King, perfect, perfect for this movie. And then when I heard that he wrote it, uh, when I saw that he wrote it, and he and Simon wrote it, I went, this is. I want to be part of this. I just want to be part of this. It's gonna. This is gonna be terribly clever, and it's gonna be wonderful. Were you in a way? Were you almost surprised that this movie has such an emotional heart as well? You know, because it, it looks amazing. It's very, very funny, but my God, by the end, I was a, a solid mess. Oh, <laughs> excellent. I mean, yeah. uh, you, oh, yeah. this one. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. yeah. No, thank God. That's a very good thing. Thank That's a very God. good thing. Yeah, yeah because, uh, Believe me. Uh, you know, uh, people are very protective of this character when yeah. things are perfectly made once. People feel skeptical about it being revisited, particularly that it's a money grab. And what you just described is exactly why this movie needs to exist because there's a real fulcrum to it. There's a real heart underneath it. You know, without giving too much away, this is the story of a young man whose connection to his mother is uh, healed and more properly formed in a healthy way through his connection to chocolate. And if someone's listening to this and raises their eyebrows and- Go see the movie. Yeah, it's, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got to talk about the singing. Obviously, both of you are uh, adept. You, you've you've sung before, but even so, when you're on the soundstage, Neil Hannon, who I think is a genius, yeah. uh, by the way, a huge fan of Divine Comedy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're singing his songs on stage for the first time. Is that a terrifying moment? Is that a freeing moment? What's what's it what's it like for both of you? I would say it's I'd say it's a freeing moment because, uh, um, as people used to say in the world of musicals, that you know when. Um, when you can't talk anymore, you sing, and when you can't sing anymore, you dance. And then um, I think that that is true, and so that is what makes it freeing. Is that hmm. there's, there's this sense that I can't, I can't, I can't act this anymore this way. 
yeah. I have to I have to transfer this to something else, to something m- more open or more brash or uh, however you want to put it. And I think the singing, the singing helps. I think it helps. Mm. Yeah. Timothy? Agreed. It was increasingly freeing over the course of the experience. At first, it was more Terrifying. jarring. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, maybe not. I mean, it, it, it was, I feel like jarring is the right word. I don't know. Okay. It was just, uh, I love how Keegan just put it. Uh, I wish I had that in my ear before we started, that it's sort of the, imp- it's you, what needs to be communicated for your character, for the plot, can no longer be achieved through the conventions of human conversation or behavior. The best thought I had towards singing this movie was it's acting on pitch. You know, it's mm. uh, like, he's just oh, moving I like the that. forward. Yeah. That's, That's good. Yeah. I wish I'd known that when I, I played Fagin in my high school play. In <laughs> yeah. Oliver. In, yeah. In Oliver, yeah. Yeah, because I just sang. In what? Because it in, went, what? in Oliver. In, the, in, in Oliver, the musical. Yeah. Oliver. I was a dreadful, dreadful Fagin, but I just sang because it said in the script sing. But yeah. if I'd known this. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So much yeah. better, guys. <laughs> so much better. Yeah. Uh, real quick, you're surrounded by sweets and chocolate. Yes. Is that anathema to actors? I mean, can you can you partake of this stuff or is it just there to torture you? No, I think this is real. Yeah? I think this is real. But can you partake? Because, you know. You have to do movies and... Oh, you mean, can you partake yeah. in regard to our physiques? Yeah, your physiques. You've got to keep this... you got to try to keep it you Yeah, try to keep it right and tight. On that note, Keegan, Timothy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Okay, that was Timothy Chalamet and Keegan-Michael Key and Wonka is out right now in cinemas and we will be reviewing it I'll be just basically lavishing praise on it in a few in a few minutes' time uh, later on in the show. Right, time for some movie news. What has been happening in the world of movie news? I'll tell you what's been happening. Yeah. Movie news. But should we talk about, there's been some trailers, there one have. of which have. hit, I think, just after we recorded last week's uh, episode. You must have been furious or furiosa. furiosa. Uh, and it is, of course, George Miller's Furiosa a Mad Max saga to give it its new official name. Uh, the trailer for this, Anya Taylor-Joy as a young Furiosa, Chris Hemsworth as a character who some speculate might turn out to be the bullet farmer who we see in I, Mad Max Fury Road. I wondered the same thing because of the moment in the trailer where he is almost literally being swamped in bullets. It oh. seemed like there was an association <laughs> deliberately being drawn there. Who knows? Quite possibly, quite possibly. And uh, lots of vehicular mayhem. Um, so I thought this looked good mm. I thought it looked great I thought yes. it looked fantastic and then Twitter was like meh oh fuck really? Twitter a lot, a lot of Twitter was like eh, the, the effects are unfinished and you know, it doesn't look uh, as good as it is the worst. it is Miller time and I'm 100% here for it this yeah. was so much fun I'm so excited about this it looked it looked of a piece with Fury Road and yeah. yet not it looked you know it looked like a like a step onwards from it at the same time mm. um, and yeah I'm, I'm super hyped actually I'm, I, I feel like I don't know what um, Chris Hemsworth's performance is going to be like over the course yeah. of a film. It's big, certainly. <laughs> but I'm really glad for him that he's getting to do weird shit like this. You know, he feels like a guy who has been constrained by his own good looks, huh. forced into heroic roles. I know exactly I know. how you must, of course, you guys, you you it, guys it would have as with well. That. Quite often so, we get together the Chris's and we, we lament. We and lament. your own perfectly chiseled features. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like, you know, this is him kind of swinging for the fences and, and I hope that ends up cool. And Anya Taylor-Joy, always great. Always mm. great. And a joy? A joy, in fact. Yeah. Did, did you enjoy it, Chris? Were you fully rictus erectus? I beg your pardon? 
That's a very, very personal question. I do not wish to respond to it. Uh, it looks great. looks fantastic. The action looks looks wild. The filming of this, I don't think, was as... Um, fraught. Fraught, <laughs> shall we say, as the making of Fury Road. Hopefully this time George Miller had two leads who actually got on. That would be <laughs> nice, wouldn't it? Hey, they ended up friends afterwards. Just not maybe during. That's what they tell us, and that's what I choose to believe. <laughs> Helen, by the way. Yeah. I have a bridge for sale. Would you be interested in it? <laughs> hey, look, I'm I'm an optimist. Uh, the, it yeah, wasn't the only it wasn't okay. the only gigantic film to get a, a trailer this week because, of course, Godzilla <gasps> X Kong. Yes, the also collab got a trailer. It's, yeah. it's not it's not just Godzilla X Kong. It's it's Godzilla a, X Kong colon the, the new empire. The new empire. I now, like this tradition now. It's, well, two films yeah. coming out next year. The word empire. Mm. Yeah, Frozen Empire, the Ghostbusters movie, mm. and now this. I don't know. It's I a think message to the universe, isn't it? it this is. is something Tom Cruise could get on board with. You know, maybe Dead Reckoning Part Two because there's been there's been talk that that might be renamed. Mm. Sorry, mm. I don't know what I was thinking. The five star masterpiece that <laughs> is oh, Dead Reckoning Part Two might be renamed. I don't cake. know, Coconut Empire, <laughs> Coconut Empire. <laughs> Empire of Cake. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is masterpiece. Anyway, yeah. Helen, okay. you were saying about a film that that <laughs> hasn't said it's any cake, and so therefore is it's on the fence. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, what appears to be happening, and honestly, I find this trailer a little confusing, and I'm not 100% sure, but Godzilla and Kong have to team up against baddie giant apes? Question mark? Yes. So it's kind of uh, yes. beneath the planet of the apes if the apes were the size of the Empire State Building. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Maybe. Maybe. Possibly. Plus Godzilla. It's very with, hard to tell. But Godzilla really has tell. pink spines now and looks yeah. a bit rock and roll. What's up with that? Then? I love it. I don't know, but okay. I'm embracing the 80s neon and obviously so is he. I've been watching some uh, Monarch. Uh, yes, Legacy of Monsters. Legacy of mm. Monsters, which is the TV spinoff and I'm quite enjoying that. I don't really understand everything that's happening there either, <laughs> but I'm here to find out more. Yeah. So, uh, look, I mean, you, you can't really go wrong with, with a giant lizard stomping things you can and they have spectacularly okay yes they have yeah but like you know right now or coming up soon in cinemas we've got Godzilla minus one which we'll probably be talking about in the next week or two Mm. so it's a good time to be a giant monster you know stomping around the screen hopefully although the trailer does end with the two of them running in slow motion yeah and Kong runs a little bit like Phoebe from Friends I'm just gonna leave oh that's not fair also did you notice the prosthetic arm Yes, well, I thought it was more of a glove. Is it, is it glove? Is it's it like a? Glove, a it's yeah. like an Iron Man gauntlet thing. It's like yeah, it's like something he's wearing on his arm, like okay. a, like an uh, like um RSI. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure. All right, that's it. well, that's that's good then. Yeah, he's but, got carpal tunnel. Yes. So Adam Wingard mm-hmm. is directing this once again after Godzilla versus Kong, uh, which is good. Uh, Rebecca Hall is back as insert name of character oh. Rebecca Hall played in the last movie. <laughs> Doctor Eileen Andrews. Who can forget Doctor Eileen Andrews, who was incredibly well fleshed out in a three dimensional character. I mean, yes. this is again, you've seen these films, right? <laughs> like, when is the last time we had any well fleshed out human character in these films? Yeah, I feel that's it's weird that it seems like they took all of the characterization from those films and just dropped them into Monarch, and that's just where they keep it like a special drawer. Yeah, it does does kind of seem that way. Is it good, um, Monica? Is it, is it good, that I'm show? I'm having fun. Yeah, I, yeah. I think the first episode definitely is a little bit slow. It seems to get very bogged down in exposition, but it, it, it 
picks up after that. Yeah. All right, I'm okay. having fun right now. Yeah. Dan Stevens is in that, which is good to see. Yeah. We reunited with Adam Wingard after the guest. Hopefully he plays a similarly psychopathic individual. <laughs> that, would, that would be nice. Uh, and they get to stare at the big monsters. But yes, that shot of the two of them running in tandem um, is one of the most stupid things I've ever seen. And I am very, very, very... 10 out of 10, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. They was running. <laughs> they was. They was indeed. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about that. Mm. Cake or no cake? Wow, you're so so generous there. I Keep wouldn't an open mind. want a cake baked by Godzilla or Kong. No, that's fair. Although Kong could like you know he could be sort of radiated on his on his atomic breath, you know, so he he could cook a lot of cakes at once. Is what I'm saying. Jesus, imagine a Hollywood handshake. Imagine <laughs> that. Imagine Paul Hollywood giving them a handshake. They did rip his arm off. That'd be terrible. That would be terrible. Um, there was also the trailer this week for Bob Marley One Love, which is Kingsley Benadire playing Kingsley Sir Benadire. Actually, Helen, is, I think you find is that is yeah. that right? Okay, well, it's it's an interesting one. I feel like most of the film is here in the trailer. I, I feel like we get quite a lot of the story. I hope the film will be longer. I, I imagine it is a bit longer. I'm just saying, quite a lot of the story beats are, are kind okay. of here in the trailer. But um. You know, it, it looks, I'll be honest, it looks like a, a biopic, but it's got a really good cast and I don't know much actually about Bob Marley's life. So I look forward to finding out more and then falling down a, you know, Wikipedia rabbit hole afterwards and trying to find out what was actually true and what was actually not true in the <laughs> biopic, as, as is the way of these things. Um, yeah, but, apparently, yeah. He, apparently he didn't fight at Waterloo. <laughs> he didn't even try to take Egypt. Can you imagine? Killed a man in World War II. Yes. Stabbed him in the back. True. Just to watch him die. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, Lashana Lynch is in it as well. James Norton, Michael Ward, Michael Gandolfini. Good people. So Good people. Good people indeed. All right, that'll be out uh, next, next year. year? Yeah, early, early next, next year. year. Jimbo, do you have any movie news that you'd like to... I, I normally avoid all TV news because I like to say things for the Pilot TV podcast, but there are two things that I'm going to mention on Pilot, but I feel the need to mention them here as well. And they are, in many ways, Christmas presents. There is a gift for you, Chris, and a gift for you, Helen. Hurrah! And the gift for you, Chris, is that Reacher, which is arriving very, very soon with the second season, has been renewed for a third season. Squee! We will be reviewing Reacher on the next Pilot Plus because it is embargoed. It's not on the regular Pilot podcast. And Helen, what else has been renewed but Foundation, which is yeah. coming back for a third season. Woo-hoo. I am here for it. I'm very excited. Yes. Season two was amazing. Wasn't it? So Wasn't good. it? This is exciting news. Exciting news. They have picked up Lee Pace. Very, very good. good. Uh, just, I said very good. I got in ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> Praise myself before you guys get in there and do it for me. I just assumed it was praise coming. Right. Sure. So yeah. I decided to add my voice to yours. Um, my voice is really going, by the way. There's a really good chance that people might finally get their wish and I might be mute by the end of this podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Probably uh, doing Gilbert Gottfried wasn't the best idea. <laughs> in retrospect, perhaps. In not. retrospect, not the best idea. But, uh, but hey-ho. Um, Reacher. Very excited about this. Alan Richardson, uh, who is the professional name of Jack Reacher, who is, of course <laughs> has become an actor uh, and stars in Reacher as himself, but claims to be this actor called Alan Richardson. Uh, did a, f- a video from Instagram this week, from Instagram this week, uh, where he was on set of Reacher season three, which is pretty bold given that Reacher season two hasn't come out yet. Yeah. But, you know, they're very, very confident about this. Uh, Reacher season two is based on Bad Luck and Trouble, book 11 in the Lee Child series. I think we all know that often. We all know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I interviewed Lee Child uh, recently, not for the podcast, and I tried to get him to tell me what uh, season three was based on. And um, he saw my tricky line of questioning coming and and wouldn't fold, (laughs) sadly. But what Richard book would you like to see them adapt for season three? Bearing in mind that 
it's probably too late to change it now. <laughs> I, I would, I think they they should do what they should have done for the second season and go with die trying. Like, why why break the canonical order? Like, absolutely do it. It doesn't, sure, ma- yes, it doesn't matter about no, the order, Chris. It, it, of course, it matters. There's form to these things. There is, is a there's a canonical order. You should not deviate from it. Uh-huh. I will say, I will say, and I have seen all of season two of Reacher, and I'm not going to review it, not least because it's embargoed. I do think it is an unusual choice to pick Bad Luck and Trouble for the second season, given that the whole thing with Reacher is he is the he's the, the lone guy who wanders into town and causes chaos. And Charles broke that formula for this book, but had obviously done many books leading up to it. It's an odd thing to switch up the formula for the second season and have him with his team. Uh, I, I I would not personally have done it that way. I'd be fascinated to know what uh, what Nick Santorum did. You know what what the thinking was behind that. Here's the thing: I read the first. I don't know what was it, sixteen, seventeen books in a in row. an afternoon. Well, I mean, in a, in, a, in a few weeks. So I don't know any don't of know. them apart. Oh well, Helen. I just read. Them Obviously, all. we start off with Killing Floor. No, please don't do this. Then we move <laughs> swiftly <laughs> on to Die Trying. I thought you had then a lot to do today. Then there's Tripwire, and then Hook book Hobie. four. Love Hook Hobie. <laughs> oh, the Tripwire, of course, is the one where Reacher stops a yes, bullet with, with his, his chest, chest. muscles. <laughs> it's uh, amazing. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, he does end up in hospital in a coma for about two weeks afterwards. But still, uh, it would have killed a normal man. Um, book four, of course, is The Visitor, which has another name, Running Blind, I yes, think, in the States. Yes, that's right, in the States. Of course. Yeah. But th- and that's a weird one because that's another strange, because it's a serial killer story. It's, it's like, a serial killer it's not, story, uh, yeah. It's not a regular one. Yeah. That's, that's a weird one. And also, that's that like weird that phase where Reacher is no longer roaming the land. He's got a house and everything. Bring, it doesn't bring, last long. Bring, bring. But... Hello? <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, that was all the listeners <laughs> saying, please save this for your Reacher podcast. It's true. The Reacher we should round. save it for the Reacher rounds. Uh, but true, true. But uh, that's as Jimmy Stewart, but he thinks it's <laughs> Oh, oh, Jack Reacher, I'll sure be delighted to come back from the dead and read some of those fantastic books, starting with book five, Echo oh, Burning, no, then please, I can move on to book please. six without fail. Then You were the one who was busy this book afternoon. Book seven yeah. would be a Persuader, book, he's gone, where's he from now? Book eight, we, yeah, Gee Willikers. I don't book, know what's happening. What's book eight? I think he's turning into Yosemite Sam. I'm uh, sure. uh, book eight is book one where Jack Reacher is killed. He's stabbed in the back. <laughs> By Christopher Lee. <laughs> Christopher Lee could never. Christopher Lee could never. I mean, at least they'd be on an, an eye level. You yeah, know. and roughly the same height. Anyway, um, book eight is, as we all know, listen, I'm, I'm committed to this now. Book eight you is... cannot list book them all. Is, um, it, I think it's the hard way. I think it's the it hard way. It certainly feels no, like it. No, it's the first prequel. It's the first prequel. Haha, fuck you. It's the enemy. <laughs> Book 9 is One Shot. Book Stop. 10 is The Hard Way. Book 11 is Bad Luck and Trouble. Book 12 is book twelve is the terrible one where he walks back and forth between two towns Hope, and, Hope despair. and Despair. Yes. And it's called Nothing to Lose. Book 13, <laughs> my first Jack Reacher book, is Gone Tomorrow. Book 14 is 61 Hours. Book 15 is A Wanted Man. Book 16 is another orange one. Did I buy you Gone it's Tomorrow? The affair. No, I bought it at an airport. Sure? I, I texted you going, hey, what is this Jack Reacher thing like? And you were like, you will not regret it. And then it was like <laughs> crack into my veins after that point. Uh, book 17. No, no, books, book... I'm so, I'm so sorry. I misspoke. Book 15 is worth dying for. What the fuck was I thinking? Book 16 is The Affair. Book 17 is A Wanted Man. And then there are other books that come after that. Oh, thank God. Book 18 that. is Never Go Back. Book 19 is Personal. Book 20 is Make Me. And, and then there are other books. I will make you. Yes. Stop. All right. I'm excited about it. I would go for 61 hours or gone tomorrow. I would bring Reacher to New York. Never go okay. back, Chris. Never go back. Never go back. Or anyway. Uh, oh, Helen, what's next on the movie news front? Dear God. 
There's not a huge amount else. There's I would a lot say. of TV news. Like uh, there okay, were th- but we don't need to. Sorry, Helen. I've crossed the streams. Um, Eli Roth streams. has announced that he's working on a Thanksgiving sequel. That's exciting. So that's a thing that's happening. Um, that's I, I actually still haven't seen Thanksgiving, much to my disappointment, but I will get around to Neither it at some I. point. Nor have I, sadly. So, but uh, I hear good things, actually. I hear yeah, me too. Yeah. I do hear good things. And then there's the news that Ryan Reynolds and Channing Tatum are teaming up for an action comedy. Um, which I believe is called Calamity Hustle. That feels like a that feels like a you know you've gone on the internet and there's like a, a generator for generate me yeah. a kind of naughty's action comedy title. Yeah, but it's not bad as those titles go. It's not like you know yeah dead you know peril or something. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not just too boring words it's two fun words put together yeah but I think if you're going to do one like at least do something fun like Shanghai Noon like you know push the boat out a little bit Calamity Hustle isn't bad I'm just hoping one of them has the surname Jane for example you know Um, that would work but anyway (laughs) and the other one has the surname Flo well the problem is they're actually (laughs) they're actually um, brothers apparently I think so probably the same surname yeah it's a former LA detective turned private investigator who's shaken down by a crime lord and has to track down his estranged brother who interfered with a diamond heist. So presumably, one is Ryan Reynolds, the other is Channing Tatum. And I kind of feel like both of these guys are very fun on screen. Yes. They've got similar enough energy that I would absolutely buy them as family. I right. think this could be really fun. I think this could, I think this could be good. Don't you? I could, yeah, it could Am be I good. Am I the only one who's excited here? Excitement's a strong word. Okay, I'm not writing it off. Vaguely excited. It sounds like it could be fun. But yeah, it's it's happening. Apparently, it's uh, writer directors Aaron and Adam Nee who worked on the Lost City with with Tatum. Okay, yeah, no, that's so, interesting. So that that's was fun. I like the Calamity Hustle. Reminds me of the alternate title for the Alan Partridge movie, which obviously they went with Alpha Papa. Mm. But there was another trailer in which they went through oh, different Oh, Colossal titles. Velocity. Colossal Velocity. That's a great title. I don't know why they went with Alpha Papa, because Colossal Velocity is a much better title. I honestly think you know, I, I, I think that Alpha Papa is a fine title, but yes, Colossal Velocity is definitely what they should have gone with. Okay. All right. All right. All right, well, that seems to be it. That seems to be it. As far as we can tell, no major movie news has dropped otherwise, and nobody, as far as we can tell, has carked it. So, should we move on? All right. To the second of this week's guests, who is Jeff Rowe. Whoa. Who is the director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. But wait, Chris, I hear you cry. Didn't that come out in the cinemas ages ago, you absolute melon? Yes, it did. But there's such a thing as home entertainment, shiny discs, digital downloads, streaming, you know, all the good stuff. Uh, And so it is out now. And it's one of the best animated movies of the year, Hell's Bells, I would say. I would agree. Yeah, we have actually done the spoiler special on that as well, which will be going up in the spoiler special feed as soon as I get it finished. Uh, but Hells, you actually took the the lead in that one, didn't you? Yes, I did. You That's did. right. I forgot. Yeah, because I, I, I was I was otherwise engaged. You were dead. Dead. Pretty yeah. much dead to the world. But no, it was uh, it was a really fun discussion because basically we all loved it. Um, which is not to say we would have ex- you know excluded any haterators that we could find, but we oh, couldn't find any because you know why? It's freaking great. It's freaking great. Uh, anyway, it is out right now uh, for you to listen to, as is this interview in which Ben Travis, mega Turtles fan, sat down and uh, and chatted about all things Turtles and other things as well with Jeff Rowe. Do please enjoy. I'm thrilled to welcome to the Empire podcast 
the director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Jeff Rowe. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm great. We're in London. You're in town. What? Do you, how come you're here? I I'm I'm he, I am here for this interview. I traveled across the seas and time to uh, speak with you today. I love that we threw up the turtle signal. You saw it from the U.S. and you were like, "I have to be there." We appreciate that dedication. Oh, I, I have to go to London. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I love it. I love it here. This is amazing. Yeah, and we love the film. The film is an absolute blast. Uh, I guess I want to start this by talking a little bit about the music uh, because it strikes me. You've got an incredible soundtrack for this film, and it feels like a stealth way that you know that young audiences are going to see this film, and at an early age, you can introduce them to the musical stylings of old dirty bastards, Shimmy Shimmy Ya. <laughs> he famously said, Wu-Tang is for the children. You took that literally. You have an ODB needle drop in this film. Absolutely. No, no. Yeah. And I think I think that was a I think there was like a, a discussion also where it's like uh, uh, like when he's saying, "Ooh, baby, I like it raw. Like, is that <laughs> can we put that in a family film? Will that get past the censors? There was a lot of discussion about it. It could refer to many things, right. uh, 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 a diet, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a picture format file for uh, for digital photos. Uh, we don't really know what, what ODB meant. So uh, uh, you can draw your own conclusions. But uh, yeah, the, the, the music was a, was a big part in uh, shaping the identity of, uh, of the movie early on. For, for me, it was a way to uh, evoke the 90s and evoke nostalgia without the film having to actually be set in the 90s. It could still be a contemporary film. And uh, uh, I just started putting um, uh, 90s hip hop tracks that I love to, to, to the movie in early versions like De La Soul and KMD. And, um, uh, and it just fit really well with the, the, the tone that we were crafting. And then does it come to a point where you're like, I don't want to change these songs? Do you have to go to Paramount? Do you have to go to Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, your producers, and say, we need these songs? What can you do? How, what, what's the yeah. process from there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, you know, I think I think we, we uh, there was a lot of back and forth about, because, you know, licensing songs is, uh, uh, it's an expensive part of the movie making process. And we... Um, we had a lot of songs and, and there was, there was some negotiation about, um, how many could we have and which ones we had to have. And we had to be really, really focused on that. Uh, like example, like, like no diggity was one of those ones that were like, we cannot put another song to this scene. It just, uh, it works so well. People love that scene and we're like, whatever that is, we have to find a way to, to, to make that one work. And we're willing to sacrifice other darlings to, to, to save that. I mean, I'm going to come back to the, the feel of the film and the look of the film, but I just want to talk about, I mean, we're a couple of months now removed from the film coming out. How are you feeling now in this moment, knowing that people really clicked with this film because you have a, a sort of slightly different take on the turtles. They are defiantly teenaged turtles, kind of for the first time. You have this very distinctive art style. How does it feel to you knowing that people 
got your iteration of Turtles, got the look of the film that people really clicked with that. It's it's good. It's, it's you know, like we were kind of... Um, like the art team and I and 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 all, all the wonderful people who, who worked on the film took a lot of big swings uh, uh, visually, stylistically, uh, uh, just in the storytelling. We, we, we always tried to do a lot of things that aren't typically done in animation and uh, and it's it's anxiety inducing. You know, it's like we, we like this. We think this is cool. But will the world like it? Will will people appreciate it? We really didn't know. We, we had a we had a hunch. We had a hope. But to, to see it go out there and have people actually respond to the art style and 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 get it and see and and say back the things that we would say about it was uh was just so rewarding and 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 validating yeah what's been your favorite thing that you've seen out in the world or your favorite reaction to the movie now that people are you released it and people make it their own people latch onto these films have you seen a particular reaction or something that somebody has made in response to this film that that has particularly hit you there there was there was one podcast that did a deep dive on it that uh i was like oh i love this so much uh they really get it and i cannot remember the name uh, <laughs> uh, uh of it uh i'll have to look that up uh like the fan art is always really cool to see uh i think i'm hearing a lot of people are dressing as the characters for halloween which nice. is a thing i did as a kid <laughs> so it's it's uh it's like i love halloween love costumes happy to see um this inspire a new generation of uh, uh uh of turtles fans and uh my my dream is to see like a really good Superfly costume. I want yeah. someone to put a lot of work into one. Uh, uh, we will retweet it. We will celebrate you if you make a really good one. Uh, please, please, I hope that's in the works. Someone in the world. And if you make it, it has to look authentically wonky. It has to be like paper mache. Yes. It's got to have like those big hairs sticking out of it. You have to have maybe even go for the horse leg variant yeah. at the end Ooh. of the film if we're very, oh, veering man. towards spoilers. I, never in my wildest dreams could there be a, a super duper fly costume. But that <laughs> would be uh, that. I mean, I think that's the that's the the holy grail. You have to see as well if you inspire a generation of kids uh, once again to take up uh, like martial arts classes. I spoke to Seth and Evan for the magazine. Seth talking about how it made him want to take up uh, kung fu, and then he immediately got nunchucks and smashed a massive lampshade in his parents' house with the nunchucks right in front of Evan. Uh, so we're waiting to see if a generation of kids take up nunchucks after this I, movie. I, I, I hope they do or don't. Uh, be safe, people. <laughs> don't. Uh, 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 but uh, but yeah, I, I hope it, I, more so than anything, uh, I, I hope it lets people feel comfortable being weird like uh so so i think the ninja turtles uh when i was young shaped my sense of humor and shaped my um uh artistic taste uh, uh a little bit um and i would love for this version and it's 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 just overt strangeness to uh similarly color a generation of uh, uh, uh artistic taste 
Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about the art style. Let's talk about the animation because it is so distinctive. This is an incredible looking film. And right when we first got our very first glimpse at the trailers and what you were doing with the kind of scribbly art style, that slightly almost claymation texture of the characters as well, you're doing something really bold and interesting here. I guess in a general sense, what is it like for you to be part of this I mean, this year in particular has been incredible for animation, but to be part of this really quite rapidly evolving landscape of people pushing those boundaries, and for you not just to be part of that, but to have your own very distinctive style with this film in in kind of pushing that outwards. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's uh, it's a really exciting time to be making animation. I think studios are seeing uh, a unique visual style as an asset. Uh, uh, to a film now and its marketability instead of a, a, a risk, which means that hopefully within the next decade, you know, like uh, uh, there there were a lot of uh, comparisons made between our film and uh, Spider-Verse, wh- which was always n- not frustrating because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a beautiful film and I, I, I appreciate uh, please, please compare uh, uh, my movie to uh, to uh, uh, another great movie. Um, but uh, but they look so different. They're stylistically, they're so visually uh, different from each other. And I think we're just at a point where this is still so new that the vocabulary isn't out there to talk about um, the 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 differences in style. And and my hope is that in the next decade, there are so many different looks to an animated film that um, things kind of shift to being filmmaker and artist driven like they are in live action where it's like, oh, Roger Deakins shot that film or, oh, that's edited like a Martin Scorsese film. I can recognize the the the, the fingerprints. Like it, it would be nice to see that level of authorship and and kind of undiluted expression come through in uh, in animation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how would you describe the look of this film? What is it to you that defines the look of Mutant Mayhem? It's 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 it's, it's <laughs> uh, 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 the, the very simple math equation is it's like teenage uh, drawings. Um, uh, the kind of sketches you do when when you're 16 and 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 you don't have formal art training and uh, or a voice in your head that tells you like hey that's not how you draw you're just like putting lines down with like passion and feeling uh, and not really caring about the end result uh, and then uh, so it's like that plus the street photography of uh, Alex Webb and uh, these like bold, saturated colors, high contrast. Um, it kind of has a very unique uh, lighting style uh, for for an animated film. Um, uh, and it also kind of looks like a oil painting, which we did, <laughs> which wasn't necessarily intentional, but but uh when we started seeing it we're like wow this is beautiful this is part of the look now yeah yeah it's an incredible mix of of visual styles and what what was it like for you moderating from shot to shot because there are certain shots where you li- really lean into the pencil textures there are certain shots 
where the, where you're not leaning into that as much. It's like whatever the shot needs, whatever the scene needs, reflects which part of the art style you're kind of leaning towards. So how do you moderate that from moment to moment in the story? I think I think it's uh uh, uh you know like uh it's not. I approved, like personally approved every shot in 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 the film, which sometimes doesn't happen. Sometimes it's it's the director will just approve key shots, and then the production designer will handle the the shots in between. But but me and Yashar Kasai, our production designer, like uh, uh, personally approved everything. And Yashar would often do uh, paintings, digital paintings, on top of frames of the film for hundreds and hundreds of shots uh, uh, in the movie. And it really gave him a lot of, um, uh, I think, influence over that consistency. Like at the end of the day, anything that seemed like it wasn't going to come from Yashar, Yashar would paint and and kind of put it into his own uh, voice and style. And, and um, we're fortunate because it it makes uh, uh as you say it makes things that could be uh, uh uh disconcertingly different uh feel cohesive you worked on the mitchells versus the machines you were co-director on mitchells versus the machines what was the biggest challenge on this versus that film because that's another film that has a very bold distinctive look in this kind of recent influx of of really artistically fascinating animation yeah I think I think like it, it it the technology evolves so rapidly, and I think with with Mitchell's, their Spider Verse was being made at the same time, and that was kind of the only thing that we had to go off of. And, and we worked with Sony Pictures ImageWorks, and uh, um, we were able to use a lot of that technology. But um, Mike and I were were maybe a little bit um, timid. Where we're, we're, we were first time directors and there was a lot of questions around like, well, uh, c- can we do this? Is this possible? And people would be like, ooh, ooh, lying around a character. That's really hard. And we'd be like, OK, OK. So, yeah, uh, we'll use that sparingly. Um, uh, and then going into this film. I was like, I know exactly what's technically possible and what isn't. And I know what we can push on. And uh, uh and uh, it just gave me the confidence to push things even further than we had uh, uh, on the last film. Um, but it, that was that was a that was a master class in uh, learning how to direct and and see a film through uh, for, uh, through through an entire pipeline and and would not have been able to do this without that experience. And in terms of the challenges of this film as well. You have massive fight scenes that you're delivering in this art style. So what was the the challenge? What was the joy of getting to, you know, choreograph and create these incredible dynamic fight scenes with the four Ninja Turtles and then also be able to interpret that action in this art style? Yeah, I mean, that that, that was a question that um, I had a real conversation with Seth Rogen at one point where uh, I was like, uh, I, I want to do some like crazy color lighting things at some point in in this film. Do you think that's going to make things less funny? Do you think it'll be too visually distracting? And he was just like, no. In in my experience, uh, you can 
uh, light things however you want. It actually doesn't matter. If something's funny, it'll still be funny. He referenced there's like a whole blacklight scene in Neighbors. Uh, I think this was around the time that we're like, I want to make the bowling alley blacklight because that'll look cool. Uh uh, is that going to be okay? And uh, uh, and it ended up being it ended up being fine. I mean, I think as far as the action goes, we we favored. Um, we don't have a lot of quick cuts. There's a lot of looking, thinking about the chop shop. There's a lot of like uh, tracking shots that connect characters. So it makes it easier to on, on a technical level, follow the action and maintain silhouettes. And uh, uh, you don't have to get a new read and, and reorient yourself geographically as an audience member on, on every, on every cut. I think ultimately it, it, if anything, it forced us to be more considerate of every shot and make sure the action was reading because we knew that we were going to do this kind of like intense lighting and color on top of it. Um, so we had to be really uh, precise about uh, every decision that we were making. Um, and uh, and I think it it helps that process and that focus and attention, I think, helped help the uh, action play. Yeah, I mean, the action sequences are so exciting. Are you talking about everything that you learned on Mitchell's then plays into this? At the end of this film, you have a pretty big tease for a sequel. Um, what do you want to do next? What could you take everything you've learned on this and put into the next film? And is that, are you looking for that to be a Turtles sequel? Yeah, I think I think uh you know so it's like I am uh uh we're in the early stages of developing a second Turtles movie. Uh it's it's happening. It's we have to live up to the promise of that very uh uh exciting tease. Um but I think uh, like I think anytime you do the same thing over and over again, it begins to feel stale. Like I have so much respect for artists who uh, you do one thing really well and then you just completely pivot and and do something different. We're, we're in London. It's like Radiohead doing OK Computer and then now we're doing Kid A and uh, it, this will be jarring <laughs> to, to, to many people. Uh, but... Um, uh, but but even like you know, Alien to Aliens, like it it it's an effective sequel because it doesn't try to be the first film. One is a slow boil horror film. The other is a blockbuster action film. You change the genre. I, I think uh, what I've learned is that to make a successful sequel to this film is we have to do something bold and different and uh uh it's the thing that'll make it uh exciting uh so uh fill in your own blanks as to what that's gonna mean <laughs> kid a meets aliens kid aliens yeah yeah perfect you, you got it there we go no pressure no yeah. pressure at all well thank you so much for coming in great to speak to you thanks jeff of course thank you Okay, that was Jeff Rowe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is out right now, folks. Run highly to your nearest digital store or indeed an actual physical store and pick up a DVD or a Blu-ray version.
Amen. Absolutely. And the Spoiler Special interview, which is a very different thing, uh, will also be up very, very soon as well. Very exciting time right now. A lot of good stuff coming your way. A lot of good stuff coming your way. Just in time for Christmas, of course. And just in time for Christmas, they have released Wonka. Wonka! The Paul King-directed prequel to the Mel Stewart 1971 movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which starred Gene Wilder as Roald Dahl's chocolatier, Willy Wonka. This one, of course, stars Timmy Toomates, as we have already established, but also this one has an all-star cast. Cal Elaine, a newcomer, is in it as a young character called Noodle. You have Keegan-Michael Key, you have Olivia Coleman, you have Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa, who else is in this movie? Hell's Bells. Uh, you've it's a, got Patterson Joseph, Matthew Bainton, Matt Lucas, who yep. play a trio of uh, evil mm. chocolatier cartel members. Uh, friend of the Pilot TV podcast, Big Tom Davis. Yes. Um, uh, Rowan Atkinson is in it as well. Uh, this is, as I said, directed by Paul King, written by Simon Farnaby. And yes, they are the same duo who delivered Paddington 2 to us and also Paddington but you know everyone mm-hmm. loves Paddington mm-hmm. 2 in particular and um, this movie was written off Helen it was written off uh, by and large by a lot of people when it was first announced a prequel to Wonka with music with songs this is never going to work but you write off Paul King at your peril don't you? You do you do and and look I, I said I, I have my reservations about prequels as you know but I have no reservations whatsoever about Paul King uh, when the when the trailer came out, I was like, you know what? Nobody was excited by the trailer for Paddington either. This is not, you know, this is not proof of hmm. uh, failure. And right enough, I had the biggest grin on my face throughout this film. I was so utterly charmed by it. I cannot even express it. I was giddy. I just loved it. Um, but yes, it is uh, Chalamet as Willy Wonka coming into town with a hat full of dreams. First of the songs, all of which I thought were pretty solid. And, um, pretty solid. Okay, great. Neil Hannon. Great. All right. Pretty solid. Touched by <sighs> genius is what I think you meant to say. Sure. Anyway, comes into town, rolls up against Dickensian hard times, frankly, has to struggle his way back to the top through a series of madcap and faintly magical schemes. Um, has a lovely relationship with Noodle, with Cal Elaine's character. He sort of becomes a, a bit of a, a mentor for, and a, certainly a partner in crime, if you like, for. for. Um, you have kind of pantomime villainy from Big Tom, Big Davis, Tom Davis and Olivia Coleman, yep. and also the three chocolatiers. Um, you just have so much silliness and fun and light and sweetness and joy and, you know, like I say, really Okay, fine. Great songs. Beautiful dance numbers. Really loved the design of this city that they're in. Basically, I think Paul King has, he's gone with, on one hand, it's very Parisian. On the other hand, it's very German. He's just taken buildings as when, anytime I was looking at a sort of sky, sky view of the, of the city, there were buildings that seemed to be, I was like, well, that looks like Venice. That looks like Prague. That looks like Paris, that looks like, you know, wherever else. So I thought that was really, really clever. They've they've really seamlessly woven together real um, location shoots with studio work, with CG environments. Um, they have the funniest Oompa Loompa ever. I thought, I thought Hugh Grant was absolutely hilarious in this. There has been uh, a criticism that this Willy Wonka isn't dark enough. I very much disagree with that. First of all, Willy Wonka is meant to have become paranoid because people kept trying to break into his factory and steal his stuff. So it doesn't make sense that if he started out that way, there would be no 
arc for him to then be redeemed by Charlie, somewhat. Second of all, I'll be honest with you, Gene Wilder was never my Willy Wonka. <gasps> I had read the book like, I don't know, 10 times by the time I saw the film and I was like, mm, no. That's what? Not right. it's, I'm sorry, that's just, I, I read the book first. You get that's nothing. Not, that's not the, the vision in my head. How I also have problems I'm curious. With in, in my head, Willy Wonka was... Jimmy Stewart. Uncaring oh. of the kids getting into trouble, yeah. but not actively malignant in right. a way that Gene Wilder sometimes is. Yeah, and 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 so there's he was almost more distracted and more like that's not important. But it wasn't he wasn't actively hoping that they would fail. I mm. felt I felt anyway. And maybe a, that's I was reading it as a very young child, but yeah. that's what was in my head. Because there is a villainous feel to him in that. Yeah, which is absent in this film. It is absent, but I think it, it makes sense if he's meant to have become darker over time, and then he's meant to be redeemed. It it doesn't make sense if he starts off writhed wreathed in darkness. So so that was fine with me. I didn't have a problem. I didn't need him to be darker than he is. I, I love that. I, my tiniest of notes are some people aren't going to like it because they've no joy and warmth in their hearts. So if that's I'm not, right if here, that's Helen. you, well, I mean. We'll get to you in a minute, I'm sure. Um, so, and that's that's fine. It's not going to be for absolutely everybody. And and I didn't love the Irish accent that one character did. Other than that, I just <laughs> adored this with all my heart. Interesting. Jimbo? Uh, you would expect me to hate this film. I know you would. And yet, it's delightful. Some great performances in there. Really, really funny moments. It's quite heartwarming. It has this sort of magical fairy tale feel to it. Uh, you know, the, the the city, you know, his his vision of it is almost like a convention in and of itself. Like, mm. it feels like almost like a chocolate paradise. It's it's kind of sweet and it's wonderful. Patterson Joseph, who plays sort of the leader of the uh, oh, the trio so of chocolateers, is fantastic. He's great They're in all things. wonderful. Yeah, they, <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. I don't think I was as up on the musical numbers as you guys were. Like, a couple of bangers in there. But I, the others, the singing I could have done without in large part. But I, 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 I thought it was lovely. I thought he was great. And I really enjoyed the fact that the central relationship, if there can be said to be, B1 is between Willie and Noodle. And it's not, there's not a love interest and it. it's not that kind of story. No, it's about friendship and bonding with people and like togetherness and closeness. And you know, it is Christmas. It's a time of miracles and these yeah. are the themes we should be embracing. Yeah, so. it's two lost children really yeah. kind of banding together. There's, there's nothing creepy or weird about that friendship no. at all. I thought, it was, I thought it was miraculously beautiful. It is joyous. I think they've done it again to be quite mm. frank with you. Um, I, th- this is very much following the Paddington formula. We'll get into it more. We're doing a spoiler mm. special uh, where I interviewed Paul King and Simon Farnaby about the movie. For me, it's absolutely magical what they've done. I think it is, It is for me, on a par with the Paddington films. I think it's very much, very much of that formula. Yeah. It is about um, someone who comes to the big city from from the, the the tropical jungles. He's been in, he's been in a bit of an uh, exploration, a bit of an adventure, and uh, and light people up with the magic and the and just the the sheer warmth of his heart. But there's a lot of other things going on here as well. Visually stunning, as Helen said, every scene has a has a giggle in, involved, but it also has such a a huge heart. Uh, and for me, there was you know a development towards the end of the movie that genuinely. I was very, very glad that the lights stayed on after the film ended uh, for the credits because sometimes they they turn the lights up for critic screenings. Uh, I was a bit of a sodden mess mm-hmm. uh, at the end of this. Um, you know, I still probably I still think that probably 
Happy Birthday Aunt Lucy is the absolute apex oh, of, of making people cry in these films, but there's an emotional climax to this movie that is just mm. absolutely beautiful. Songs are great, but I was kind of always in the tank for the songs because it's Neil Hannon, who is um, effectively the Define Comedy, and he is a genius. And the, the, the songs here are so catchy, mm. and it is so unashamedly, unabashedly a musical. The trailer, as most trailers for musicals do, went out of its way to hide that. But the first 30 seconds of the movie, Timmy Two Meets bursts into song. There's a great song that introduces it. There's songs all the way through. They're so catchy. I was walking around Sainsbury's the other day singing the first song from the movie. Timmy Two Meets is great in this. Uh, it, it just, it is absolutely filled with joy. Uh, for me, it's a five-star film. For me, it's made a very, very late very, very late break for the number one spot on my films of the year list. That is how much I love this movie. When have I ever steered you wrong? Hmm. Shut up. Don't mention that film. Anyway, <laughs> we gave this one four stars. I think I would happily give it five. I would too. I've seen it a couple of times and uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it again. Uh, and Little Drinking Game loved it as well. It was her first mm-hmm. proper experience of a uh, a live action movie that A, didn't bore her or B, didn't make her want to walk out. Yeah, I'm planning to take my small niece and nephew this Christmas, I hope, because I just came out and wanted to share it with all my loved ones immediately. Yeah, I hope it is a hit. I hope it is a big old fat chocolatey hit. Four stars then for Wonka. Uh, Also out this week in cinemas, but then it'll be out on Netflix as well in the coming weeks, is another kiddie-friendly movie, and it is Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Hell's Bells, let's stick with you for this one. Okay. This is Arben, this is Peter Lord and Sam Fell returning to the 2000 movie, mm. Chicken Run. Uh, Mel Gibson was unavailable for this one and so has not returned to voice Rocky. Um, more controversially, mm. Julia Sawala has not returned as Ginger. No. Who's voicing her in this one then? That's Tendi Wayne Newton. Okay. Who does a very good job and sounds actually quite a lot like the original voice performance of Ginger. Uh, I would suggest respectfully with nothing against her performance, which is totally fine, that you should have stuck with the horse that brung you, if if I'm honest, for that for that role, because um, I don't think you you particularly gain any movie star you know power um, from from the decision. But both both of the newcomers do a perfectly good job. Um, they are also joined by Bella Ramsey as Molly, who is their little chick, their daughter, who who now joins them. They've been living on that island we saw at the end of Chicken Run for a while now. They have settled down they have had this this chick she's grown up into sort of teenager um and she has never left the island she doesn't know about the outside world so there are going to be you won't be surprised to know some lessons to learn about what's out there um and around them are kind of most of the original cast is back you know david bradley's there jane horrocks is there and you've got people in there like uh ramesh ranganathan and daniel mays um really really good cast uh the basically the idea is that molly goes off on her own gets herself into a bit of trouble, ends up in a sort of indoor chicken farm slash Bond villain lair where she's trying to rescue the chickens that are in there uh, and in particular a new friend that she's made and also her parents and their friends are coming to try and rescue her. So you've got two sort of slightly missions at cross purposes going on in this vast industrial complex um, and some very familiar villains or one very familiar villain back to to face them once again. Gromit. 
Gromit is never a villain. How actually dare you, sir? How dare you? It is, of course, Mrs. Tweedy, voiced oh. by Miranda Richardson. Um, look, I really enjoyed this. Um, I thought it it takes a little minute to get going. You have to you have to give it a little bit of a, a t- bit of time to kind of set up the new this world to get everybody into position because, of course, having escaped from the, essentially their stalag at the end of the last film, you have to sort of explain why anybody would end up in such dire straits again. Uh, but once it gets going, it's a lot of fun because they have managed to make it feel a bit Mission Impossible-y. I mean, deliberately and very markedly so on a couple of occasions. They have also given it its own energy, its own kind of purpose with all of that kind of Bond villain trimming on the on the escape plan. So it, it does feel good that way. I I didn't... I didn't instantly love it. It's not up there with the very best of Ardman for me. It's not up there with the Wallace and Gromits. But then I didn't feel that way about the first chicken run either. So maybe I'm wrong on that. All right. Interesting. Does it address at any point mm-hmm. that the average lifespan of a domestic chicken is five to ten years? I don't think it's meant to be set in the present day. So, so I don't think it has to. You monster. Just saying. Monster. <laughs> Just saying. Although plasticine chickens. Well, now you're it. talking. This is different. This is different. This is very, very different. I've eaten at a few establishments over the years that where the chicken may well have been made out of plasticine, <laughs> to be honest. And was certainly older than five to ten years. Yes, like the one that we went to for my birthday a couple of years oh, ago, Jim, which, which we shall again. not name. Never speak which, of that. Which place. made a dramatic and sudden reappearance. <laughs> for all of us. Oh, all God. of us. Oh, yeah. oh boy. Oh, uh, all right. So what do we give this one? We give this four stars. Four um, so stars. It is, it is very funny again. It's silly. It's witty. Um, uh, that's what John said. Silly, witty and extremely British, which I think is true. Hmm. He's also called it a good egg. I see oh, what he dear. did there. That oh, was, that was a... Jesus anyway, Christ. But I did, have, I did have a lovely time watching it, you know. it's just, like, like I say, I'm grading on a curve here. It's, to say it's not up there with the top Aardman films is no great criticism. All right. Okay. So... Four stars then for Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Jimbo, on Netflix right now. No animation in this one. Not even a really good feel-good message. This is Leave the World Behind. Jimbo does not look happy. (laughs) I left the world behind to watch this one last night, unfortunately. This is written and directed by Sam Esmail, who most people remember from Mr. Robot. Uh, He's adapted the novel by Roman Alam. Um, And it stars Julia Roberts as Amanda and Ethan Hawke as her husband, Clay, and they wake up one morning, she's decided they're going to take a trip to Long Island, so she's rented an Airbnb, and they hit the road with their two children. They have a 13-year-old daughter, and they have a son who's about 17, and they head off as a family to go and stay in this lovely little house way out on Long Island in the woods. They are there, they are having a nice evening in, and there is a knock at the door. And at the door... Not a knock at the door of the cabin. A knock at the door of the cabin in the woods. Yes. And if you're wondering whether this is knockoff Shyamalan, you are not far wrong. Uh, But it's Mahershala Ali, who was originally going to be Denzel Washington until he left the project. Uh, And he is the owner of the house they have rented. And he has turned up with his daughter, Ruth. And they would like to stay for... There is a blackout in the city. They can't get back to the city. All seems a bit dodgy. Uh, Julia Roberts' character, Amanda, is very mistrustful of them. She doesn't like them coming in. She's a very prickly, spiky, quite unhappy person. 
And it probably doesn't help that um, Mahershala Ali's character, his daughter, is also prickly and spiky and quite rude. So there's lots and lots of friction there. And you're thinking, oh, is he, is he a bit shifty? What's going on? It emerges that things are going on in the kind of, shall we say, apocalyptic vein. And I really, 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 really want to talk about all the things that happen. But I feel it would be doing a disservice to because I think the joy of this film, if joy can be said to exist in this film, is that when you get in there, that you know that Shyamalan feeling you get when you watch one of his films where you don't really know what's going on, but good God, you want to know. Like, you really want to know what's happening. This has that. At the beginning, it really kind of, well, for me anyway, it really hooked me. I was like, I must know what's going on. And, you know, all I knew about this going in was that Netflix had won a bidding war, the novel was really big, and lots of people wanted to do it. Roberts produces it. Denzel Washington was going to produce it before he left the project. Um... And, it, and you really want to know what's happening. The problem is, I don't know what Esmail is doing, but it comes off as feeling like Poundland Charmelin. Like, it's like he throws everything at this. Like, think of something weird and apocalyptic that may or may not have appeared in a previous Charmelin film, and he chucks it into this. There's an incident on a beach. They don't get old, but there is an oil tanker. There's a, an incident involving a lot of deer. There are drones. There's all sorts of things happening. And it all feels like a bit of a jumbled mess of ideas that don't really sort of cohere together. And I think the biggest problem of this, and and this is the thing where Shyamalan always sort of nails it, no matter how weird and wonderful his films are, he generally, generally sticks to landing. Like He makes the endings work. They're often surprising, not always, but they're always kind of satisfying. The ending of this film is absolutely fucking baffling. And this film is two hours and 20 minutes long. Oof. To, and and it doesn't need to be. It's very flabby. There's a whole sequence where they're dancing to fucking vinyl in the basement. And it's just like, I don't know why this sequence is happening. But it feels like they really, really couldn't work out how to end this. They have deviated from the plot of the book in the last act for reasons I don't quite understand. And I think, you know, and I can't speak for Asmel, but it feels like he was very proud of himself for how he ended this film. And I would argue he maybe shouldn't have been because it made me very, very, very cross. So... Ah. It's a really unsatisfying, very irritating ending to quite a long film. But there are some good ideas in here. It is deeply, deeply weird. There's some crazy camera angles in this, and the score is slightly weird as well. I kind of, even, well, like, we gave this two stars, and I absolutely endorse that review rating. But I also think it's on Netflix. If you're in, maybe watch it anyway. Not because it's good, but just because it's kind of interesting. And like I say, at the beginning, there's something quite grabby about it. It just doesn't sort of pay off at the end. So it's an interesting thought experiment, which doesn't really work. But, you know, if you've got two and a half hours, give it a go. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you in this one, Jimbo. Um, it I is, just, do you know what? I, yeah. like, I wasn't bored for most of it. I genuinely was really hooked by it. But so many things happen in it that are so deeply stupid. And so many of the ideas feel at odds with each other and don't really... And that's the other thing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And then there's also stupid people being deeply stupid, which is also mm. very, very annoying. Like, if they behaved in intelligent, you know, relatable ways, that's one thing, but they kind of don't, and that's aggravating as well. Um, so I, I definitely think it's a failed experiment. But Yeah. yeah lot, but lot to admire about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's not the end of the world. It's not quite. the end of the world. Yeah, it's got a really good opening opening scene, and yeah, it just it didn't, it didn't mm. work for me. But I'm glad but, I watched it. But weirdly. Boyd really loves it. He did. He did. And he mentioned Wake this. up, Boyd! On the Pilot TV podcast last week, he mentioned it, that it would be up my alley because it contains references to both Friends and The West Wing. Oh my why, God. Why was Boyd talking about a film on the Pilot TV podcast? He does it a lot. It's very weird. It's very unsettling. Outrageous. Yeah. I mean, we did just talk about TV shows though. So. Yes, but... That's it's all right, Boyd. You can go back to sleep. We'll stop talking about you now. <laughs> yes, that's totally fine. 
Uh, all right, so we gave this one two stars. Two stars then for two Leave stars. the World Behind. Sounds like the uh, rejected title for a Bond film, doesn't it? It does. Or it could be a Reacher. Oh, like book 21, Night School, or book 22. <laughs> oh, boy. This is where I get a bit warm. <laughs> what number it. was The Affair? 16. Was it 16? Yeah. That's the one that contains General James Dyer. It does. It also contains a uh, lovemaking scene where Reacher and his lady friend uh, <laughs> reach climax as a train shudders past. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Metaphors, who needs them? Yeah. <laughs> Subtext is for cowards. Yes. They were thrown out of, they were thrown out of Disneyland soon after. <laughs> Uh, Hell's Bells, do you want to say something else? Uh, they're also out this week is Your Christmas or Mine too. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, good. I don't know if you remember Your Christmas or Mine last year, which was where Aza Butterfield and Cora, Cora Kirk playing young lovers mm. independently, just after going to their respective trains home for Christmas from London, decide, mm. you know what, I'm going to surprise my partner and jump on their train instead. Unfortunately, both of them do it at the same time. Ugh. And the trains are crowded, so they don't realise. And they both end up at their respective family homes, but without their partner. Nightmare for Christmas. So that was quite, I thought, an elegant conceit and worked quite well. This one has to belabour the point a little bit just to kind of create some tension this time. But basically, this time, both families go on holiday to Austria to go skiing. One, of course, has booked um, a very fancy expensive hotel. The other one has booked an incredibly dodgy looking Airbnb. And uh, and wouldn't you know it, they get mixed up and end up in the wrong places. Oh, no. Uh, no. So it's a little bit more belaboured, but the characters are still quite likeable and it's a very good cast. Daniel Mays again. Daniel Mays again, Daniel yeah. Daniel Mays again. Um, Mays to December. But yeah, not not maybe quite as good as the first, but you know, Christmas films are graded on a different scale anyway. Well, speaking of, there's one Christmas film I wanted to ask you about. Um, Family Switch. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. So this came out last week on Netflix. Um, I am obviously, by the way, you know, recording Bah Humbug um, these Not right days. Now. Not right this second. Obviously, I'm, no. I'm here recording Empire, but That'd I am doing Bah Humbug. You're both going to help me this year. It's going to be fantastic. Yes, You're like elves. You are. Very I'm talking much about like a Batman movie. You are. You're going to talk about Merry Little Batman with me, which is out this week. Uh, so we could maybe mention that now. Merry Little Batman is on Prime. It's animated. It features Luke Wilson as Batman. Um, with young Damian Wayne left at home to defend the manor against all manner of villains. It's kind of fun. It's not my favourite style of animation, but I had fun and I think you won't hate it. <laughs> all right. Um, which is what we Family Switch. Yeah, which Family is what we Switch. Family Switch came out last week and basically, yes, the parents of a family get swapped with their teenage children. The baby gets swapped with the dog, mentally speaking, which I feel like the film could make more of. Um, and and they all have essentially meetings or auditions or college interviews or big games that could change their lives during the sort of day and a half when this when this is in effect. I'll be honest, I, I thought this was perfectly fine if you want a bog standard studio comedy because Ed Helms and Jennifer Garner, who play the parents, could do this in this, their sleep. I thought the teenage actors were fine as well. The baby and the dog were a baby and a dog. You know, what are you going to do? Rita Moreno plays the vaguely witchy, vaguely angelic sort of um, tarot card reader who possibly makes all this happen. My issue with this film is 
It's the most synthetic Christmas film. There is absolutely no need for this film to involve Christmas in any way. It's like someone had a script and they were just like, can we make it a Christmas movie? And someone went, yeah, we don't even have to change anything. The, the, The magic doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. The deadline isn't anything to do with Christmas. It's about a, you know, conjunction of planets or something. It isn't a Christmas movie. It just has a bunch of Christmas trees sometimes in it. So, and and all of these key meetings that they're all having are on Christmas Eve. I know Americans work until the last minute, but come on, guys. So, yeah, I I was, I it's fine. You but say it's bad not humbug a Christmas to movie. I do kind of say bad humbug. That will not be on bad humbug this year. It's not as good as the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Die Hard. Oh, I love it. I'm sure he would. Two stars then, or one star, or stars. Just, th- stars just throw the, stars. I mean, it's probably, it's, it's, honestly, it's like a two and a half star. If you're in a mood to do nothing, the family switch will be fine for you. By the way, can I say, Wonka yes. isn't a Christmas movie, but Stop. I am covering it on Bar Humbug because Christmas lives in its heart all It year does. Round. Paddington and Paddington 2 are not Christmas movies either, but, but they, they are. are. They are. They totally are. Yep. I'm beginning to think that Paul King may be Father Christmas. I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah, he doesn't have a beard. Well, for years I believed that Terry Pratchett was, was Santa Claus, so, you know. Well, that's just stupid. No, I mean, it has a beard, has a distinctive hat. He'd be the hogfather, Helen. Yeah, he was the hogfather also. I'm just saying, it's the same guy. Anyway. Reacher would make a great Santa Claus. He literally <laughs> owns nothing but a folding toothbrush. He'd be a terrible Santa Claus. Santa Claus doesn't own, he gives away. Mm. Yeah, but he has to have stuff to give away. The elves make the stuff. Yeah, Rachel just has to loom over them and make it keep them working. Yeah, it would make the the, the height differential it would be absolutely emphasized if you went to the North Pole. Imagine Rachel slayed nothing. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Imagine Rachel is standing next to Hugh Grant's Oompa Loompa. You know, that's the kind of height difference we're talking about here. It would be a one-sided fight. Let's put it that way. Uh, anyway. In fact, he does fight someone very short in, is it 61, 61 hours? hours yeah. yes. Which of but, and he fights him in a bunker where the does. ceiling's low, where he has to be on all fours because the odds were evened. The odds were evened. And uh, I can see now why they don't want to make that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway, on that note, that is pretty much it for this week's Empire Podcast, except for one thing. I completely forgot to plug episode 600. Uh, the ticket oh, yeah. sales for that have gone really, really well. Kingsplace.co.uk. So well, in fact, we have opened up the balcony uh, to people who can sit above us and judge us from on high. And at time of recording, there are about 40 tickets remaining for the whole thing. The whole thing. Uh, so highly to kingsplace.co.uk. The podcast happens on Saturday, January 20th at King's Place in London. It is going to be absolutely amazing. Who knows? Maybe Jimmy Stewart will show up and do an appearance. Or if you're particularly naughty, Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, So go along and buy tickets for that if you can. And then hopefully we're going to be putting streaming tickets on sale as well. Maybe the side of, of Christmas. You shall see how that goes. But very, very exciting stuff indeed. Anyway, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by... Well, this is exciting. Bradley Cooper Ooh. and Carrie Mulligan, <gasps> the director and star of Maestro. Leonard Bernstein. It's going to be absolutely amazing. What well, is amazing? Because I've done it already and they were very, very good. <laughs> I wasn't amazing. They were amazing. I was pretty good. I was pretty good.
I was pretty. I'm glad. I'm glad Carrie Mulligan was amazing. But of course, if she hadn't been, she could have just done it over. It's a golf joke. It's a golf joke. None of us play golf, do we? I play golf. Well, you play golf. You do not. I do. I play golf. Really? I do. With who and when? There's a golf range on Greenwich Park. Oh, someone say range? Oh, God. (laughs) I was on a range when I shot Liberty (sighs) Phalanx. Can I go now? Are you sure? No. Uh, Anyway, yes. uh, So... We'll be joined by Lem, and I believe, if everything goes according to plan, we'll be joined by Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Monaghan. It's <gasps> exciting, isn't it? It's great. I can ask her by facing off against Owen Davian. You can. In Mission Impossible 3. Sorry, over, over sorry. Cake. The five-star masterpiece that is <laughs> Mission Impossible 3. And anyway, on that note, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my two colleagues of such lethal caking Helen O'Hara. I haven't even had any cake yet. What if it's all gone by the time we get to the office? It won't be. They're, they're not all gluttons. I'm here. James know, is here. I have your cake slices. is safe. What if they've three. opened it to the building? James Dyer, goodbye. Goodbye. Guess who we got on the Ballot TV podcast this week, Chris? Oh, um, okay. You, um, Tom Cruise's cake maker. Is it, it is. Daniel Mays? No, it is Leslie Manville and Imelda Staunton. We have, an, uh, we have an entirely royal lineup. That's exciting. exciting. From The Crown season six. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Amelda Staunton, of course, a wife of uh, Jim Carter. Yeah. Mm. Uh, who is in Wonka. Yes, he is. And who I once saw on a plane with the cast of the Downton Abbey. Of the Downton Abbey. Of the Downton Abbey. And he was reading a Jack Reacher book. He was. Uh, wow, I don't remember which one around. it was. Mm. I think it was A Wanted Man. It's actually it was it's very sad because Imelda Staunton froze before it reached the first marker. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of a seasonal joke. <laughs> oh my god! I thought she smelled bad on the outside. By the way, we should absolutely make it clear: Amelda Staunton smells delightful, delightful. Oh boy! Thanks for listening. Oh boy. See you next time. Bye. 